Fast forward again to August 2nd, 1990. Iraq attacks Kuwait, claiming the Kuwaitis are slant drilling into Iraq's oil fields. U.S. President George Herbert Walker Bush pushes for a land war against Iraq. But polls show the U.S. public is split 50-50 on that idea. Then comes this eyewitness testimony before a congressional committee from a 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl. The claim is she cannot be identified for fear of reprisals. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. The U.S. public is outraged. The result? Support for land war zooms. It's a turning point. Desert Storm is launched. 135,000 Iraqis are killed. An estimated 1 million Iraqis, many of them children and old people, then die as a result of 10 years of sanctions. One small problem. There never were any incubator baby deaths. Not one. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's investigative flagship program, The Fifth Estate, reveals the girl to be the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter given her lines and coached in acting by the giant American PR firm Hill & Knowlton. It's one phase in a $10 million joint U.S.-Kuwaiti campaign of deception. This man is lying. I myself buried 14 newborn babies that had been taken from their incubators. This man is lying. And they had kids in incubators and they were thrown out of the incubators so that Kuwait could be systematically dismantled. There were a lot of people who participated in a conspiracy. Yes, an out-and-out -out conspiracy of fake organizations, false documents, fraud, and disinformation. So, if a new man named Bush is in the White House and helps engineer a brazen deception in order to achieve global geopolitical goals, as well as domestic and personal ones, it wouldn't be a first. Greeting the Secretary-General as she arrived at the United Nations, Malala Yousafzai, just nine months after she was shot in the head at point-blank range by the Taliban, was given the sort of reception normally accorded to a world leader. But in some ways, that is what she may now have become, a global advocate for the youth of the world, by making this remarkable speech. So let us wage a global struggle against illiteracy, poverty and terrorism. Let us pick up. Let us pick up our books and our pens. They are our most powerful weapons. One child, one teacher, one book and one pen can change the world. Education is the only solution. Education first. Welcome to the TylerBlower.com live streaming show. Uh, today we are doing the 
follow-up to the previous uh, two episodes that we've been doing. Today is Total PSYOP Awareness. And in the previous two episodes, I did uh, Getting Ready for Human 2.0, as well as uh, Cyber Pentagon. Just checking levels here, making sure things are okay there. I'm also got a lot of new equipment and things going into the stream today, which hopefully won't cause any issues, but seems like things are going brilliantly and swimmingly so far. Um, so yeah, as you saw with that introduction clip, uh, the idea with the PSYOP there, um, in that PSYOP, uh, the first one that was talked about is, uh, yeah, that girl uh, in Kuwait uh, was uh, found out to be lying there and not being honest about the story that she told to get us very emotionally wrapped up and involved in the Iraq war. And I'll just share something here that kind of gives us some more context on that. Uh, this is just a, a an article post, but I wanted to read this as I opened up the show to kind of give more context to that because it's important. So says, in fact, the most emotionally moving testimony on October 10th came from a 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl known only by her first name of Niyari, according to uh, Kikos. Niyari's full name was being kept confidential to prevent Iraqi reprisals against her family in occupied Kuwait. Sobbing, she described, here, let's move the mic like that. Maybe that will help with that. Up a little bit. There we go. Sorry, just setting some levels here. Like I said, some new equipment today. Trying to make sure that I'm not too low. And uh, maybe someone in the chat can just let me know how that sounds. Going back to this uh, context on the psychological operation that was known uh, before, or that happened before the invasion of Iraq in 2003, and this led up to that. Let's skip down to the second paragraph here in this article. It says, Three months passed between Niari's testimony and the start of the war. During those months, the story of babies torn from their incubators was repeated over and over again. President Bush told the story, as you saw in the clip there. It was recited, in fact, in congressional testimony on TV and radio talk shows, and at the UN Secretary Council. Of all the accusations made against the dictator, MacArthur observed, none had more impact on American public opinion than the one about Iraqi soldiers removing 312 babies from their incubators and leaving them to die on the cold hospital floor of Kuwait City. And this turned out to be a complete psychological operation. Uh, it was a, a lie and uh, thought up and unfolded, you know, by those in the psychological operations division of the Bush uh, regime. And uh, it was actually a lie that the massacre never occurred. The girl was actually the daughter of the Kuwait, Kuwaiti emir and had been coached by the public relations firm Hill and Nalton to give persuasive false testimony. So again, the technique commonly used in psychological operations with coaching. Uh, maybe in a future episode, we'll talk about somebody else who was prominent in American politics who was coached 
into position and then eventually became the president and was basically playing the role of a character and still plays the role of that character under a fake name. Uh, We won't go into that here, but uh, maybe that's a future episode. So again, today, just kind of following up on, let's go here, following up on the previous streams, and I kind of want to keep it in this vein with the TylerBlur.com streams with uh, psychological operations, uh, military, um, security, technology, uh, DARPA, the Pentagon, the military, like I said, and just sort of we're going to keep it in that vein. So we're going to go slow today. We're not going to try to get it all done in one episode. We're not going to try to cover all that ground here now, but rather pull on this thread and then be able to continuously pull that out as time goes on. Uh, we'll kind of stay in this vein, not permanently, not like I can't go anywhere I want to with the show, but that's where we're going to be at for now. Um, let me see. Just again, check a couple things here. Make sure that's working. All right, great. So, TylerBlair.com updates for today. We have a new addition to the front page where I've added latest posts here. So you can see like the latest posts in an easier view. And uh, also, I rearranged the office, as you can see here. So I'm facing a different way now in my room than I've got I used to be facing this wall here and now I rearranged things because I needed more room in the technical area behind this to uh, turn it into more of a control room. And then um, I also have a desk here and a new mixer and mic to be able to have somebody sitting where I can actually look at them and do this show and I could actually be having a conversation with somebody else in the room as well. So there's that addition. So now I can actually have guests over at the house and I've had guests here already and we haven't been able to sit in the room and actually record a good podcast that I way that I would want to do it because the room wasn't set up yet. So while building another production computer, which is also part of the updates and going to help with the show eventually and the Grand Theft World show as well and other productions that we do live, but it also provides a separate desk and another working environment for somebody else in the house and just lots of things like that. Um, number of other new equipment adjustments, modifications, another piece of equipment that I'll unveil today and do some practicing with that we'll talk about later. And, uh, that's the upgrades for that for now. Um, the other thing that you can check out, uh, if you haven't yet go to, please go check out grandtheftworld.com. This is where a site that I've, I've helped out a lot with the backend and how this works with pulling these different content creators in. And we're basically just using RSS and pulling in content creators and then aggregating that in a nice way here on the front page. Uh, There's still some people I added last night in here that I'd like to get here displayed on the front page. But essentially, uh, there's that. But then the main kind of component of the GrandTheftWorld.com is the podcast. And we've been up working now uh, 12 weeks in a row. We haven't missed a beat. And we are on episode 13 tomorrow. And that'll be a good episode, so keep an eye out for that. We're going to be talking about some of the more recent calamities in the financial sector, as well as other things going on. Uh, But these are all like anywhere from three to five hour episodes, mostly in the four and a half hour range. So they're longer episodes. The other thing we've been working on doing is getting out uh, shorter clips this week. So I've kind of taken the head on this, getting the clips out 
so they're shorter segments uh, of the show. And next week, I have a goal of trying to get at least one out a day during the weekdays, not necessarily Friday and Sat- or Saturday and Sunday. But there's the updates with the Grand Theft World. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to join the Grand Theft World community where you'll get access to a newsletter that's uh, sent out weekly with summaries and solutions and highlights of things you might have missed, things that might have been banned. Uh, access to the Grand Theft World community in a server that we've set up where people can communicate about these things and have some people to talk about and discuss with these these particular topics that are going on uh, more recently or have a place to have a community or just be able to support the Grand Theft World crew and support what we do. Uh, signing up for this membership is an easy way to do that. And then you'll also get access to some other goodies and you can go read about that there. And I also have an update just really quick while we're getting through these updates and then I will get to the good juicy content information. But within the stones.com, this is the production company that I have started and I have a free mini course offer up and ready. You can go learn about that more by clicking get the free mini course here and then enter your information. Same thing. This is actually not up and running yet, so it's coming soon. And uh, this will just get you in the front line so that you won't miss out on this free content that I'll be putting out, basically training people how to do what I'm doing here with the live stream show, which was another big reason for me to get the new equipment and start learning some things because I want to be able to have um, more wide array of tools and knowledge to disseminate in the course. This course, of course, will be free. And then eventually one day I'll have more of like a master course, uh, higher level content or just like better produced course. But for, at first, I'll continuously build my own little production university here. It's called uh, Within a Stone's Throw, meaning that it's it's closer than you think to be able to get your voice out there and broadcast yourself and not get hung up with the tech side of things. Next big thing that I wanted to announce uh, was that the one great work network will be launching soon. I'm not going to show you the whole website. In fact, I might even be crossing the line by showing a little glimpse of what it looks like here for me. But let me see if I can get a better desk view here. Yeah, that's full view of how that would look. And I got a bunch of my content up on the site. Now, again, I'm not going to go showing you the whole site. It's not fully officially launched yet. And so we'll leave it there for now. But that is a launch that's coming on right now as of February 2nd is the planned date. This week, we've been working with content creators all over, uh, Benny Wills, Richard Grove, uh, Mark Devlin, a, a number of other people that are on the site that will be producing their content and putting it on the site. And uh, I help out behind the scenes with the One Great Work Network project in the middle end team, where we've uh, built a course to help onboard people and train them into the processes of the One Great Work Network, as well as um, I help recently just more facilitating getting the last things buttoned up with the people that are coming on the site and going to be producing content. So it's fun. I'm I'm getting to work on two projects which are aggregating people's content into a more simple way to digest and in, in these sites that are fun and uh really like awesome to work with the people that I've been getting to work with on these things. So can't be more than uh say good things about all the people over there and especially Mark Passio and, and the, it's his project and it's his um, brainchild, uh, the One Great Work Network. And back, I think like four or five years ago when he first emailed me about it, it may have only been maybe three to four years ago. I was excited about it then. And then recently when we started working on it, I'm still totally stoked to be working on the project. 
and uh we'll look out for more updates from there that that's an ongoing project and there's more to come on that all right so again today is just more of a continuation show from the the previous shows that we did on tylerbloyer.com kind of talking more about the tech side of things and uh, then we went into the cyber pentagon where we covered a lot about what DARPA's up to and a little bit of the past of LifeLock and NQTEL and uh, Palantir and Ciliad or Chiliad, whatever it was with Christine Maxwell, right? And I have a correction that I did put in that show. Uh, let's go. Let's go pull that up right now. It's right here. And the correction was that I said in the show that um, Gislaine, Gislaine Maxwell had connections to MI6. And what I, what I had farted there a little bit in my brain, brain farted, um, was that I meant Robert Maxwell, her dad had the, I mean, he was like an, uh, spy King. He's like the modern, like 007, um, all tied up in different intelligence agencies. Christine, I mean, uh, Gislaine Maxwell may or may not have continuous ties still to intelligence agencies uh, like Mossad or maybe even British Intel or American Intel or all of the above. But I wasn't uh, speaking clearly about that. And when I said that she had the direct tie, her father, Robert Maxwell, definitely did. And that's more uh, verifiable. You can go find that correction there. And I know corrections are like a shot in the dark. Might as well not even try to do it because it doesn't really matter now that it's in that recording, but I still, with the show, I don't pretend to know everything and I don't pretend to be 100% accurate and I do record things live. And so I do, I'm able to go back and edit by doing this, by correcting myself in the show notes, coming back again on another show and drawing attention to that and then moving on from there. But uh, yeah, so we're just doing uh, an intro today into more of the psychological operation information and how I want to tie that into in the next episode, more of what's currently going on in the world with COVID and uh, how the military or how different psychological operation uh, subdivisions of intelligence agencies or even global agencies or like R- Rockefeller lockstep and the stuff they were studying, how that ties in to the over psychological operations and psychological warfare really that we're in with uh, certain apparatuses. Uh, yeah, so wh- what I've really noticed is that when talking to blue pill folks or um, what you call like normies or regular folks who aren't necessarily awakened to the world and how it actually works or would rather not uh, go through that type of information or just more or less that they're blue pill. And the reason why I use the, bl- the word that they're blue pill is because it is a choice and they choose and they have a willingness to choose to filter out certain things that are more uncomfortable and less appealing to them to deal with that don't fit into their worldview. So as we've talked about before in worldview, uh, warfare, I believe was the episode called, I is what I called it. Um, I have to go back and look at that, but we've talked about how people it's not necessarily logic or facts or reason that people use to shape their opinion or or I call it worldview paradigms is what it was called. And that's, that's a better name because what I was trying to go into there was how people's worldview is what you're dealing with when you're discussing things. You're not dealing with the facts 
I mean, you are dealing with the facts and you are dealing with truth. So when I say it's not about the facts and it's not about the truth, I'm, what I'm trying to say and attempting to say there is, is that you're up against their worldview. So you have to accommodate for that when, you know, getting into conversation. And if you're, you know, not quite understanding the other person and where they're at, it may be because you're not understanding their worldview. Okay. And the worldview ultimately should encompass a, a holistic philosophy, a non-contradictory worldview that is adjustable and malleable and can change because you got to keep an open mind and be able to change your opinion. But it should also be, you know, like I said, based in reality as the best that we're able to perceive that and also, you know, in uh, natural law and what is right and what is true and then non-contradictory logic and thinking and extrapolating out from those uh, premises or the presuppositions that you hold. All right. So when dealing with certain people, you know, I've gotten more comfortable after sort of realizing a lot of things about the world and then going out and trying to express the way that I had discovered certain things to other people and then realizing that they really wanted nothing to do with that. Over time, it's like you realize that you're not up against them wanting to find the truth, like they say, even maybe or that they believe in science and truth and those sort of things. But then you realize that they really don't. It's because there's certain things that are falling outside of what they're willing to ex accept into their worldview. And they would rather, in, and a lot of it is for psychological safety. Um, a lot of the time they are attempting to uh, protect the way that they see the world because it's what to them has psychologically become safe to rely on, you know? And pulling out the rug from people is not necessarily right to do or your duty to do all the time and there's an art to it i think so i'm going to flip that around a little bit that yes you know they should be willing to look at new information to be able to learn things about the world that could potentially help other people not suffer because a lot of the stuff that people ignore is harmful to other people because we're all ignoring it and we're apathetic and we're not willing to do anything about it you know, human trafficking, for example, and the hundreds of thousands of children that go missing each year. And uh, it's a well-known thing that goes on, but people don't want to think about any uh, higher level rings of human trafficking things that go on and the news media doesn't talk about it because, and why, why is that? Why is it that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they mention children that go missing and in certain uh, demographics or special uh, geographical areas or particular children that go missing or brought up it's not like they don't cover it at all but they definitely don't cover it to the level that it should be covered and if you go look at like the uh derek bros's work on the finders or the recent podcast uh the clown and the candy man there's information there that again it's not like people like myself are obsessed with it because we love information like that is because ultimately we conquer evil by going through the information and, and letting it form us into where we're acting and then our will to act on that to make things right or to help others realize things will stop the behavior that's causing pain and suffering to other people that's the idea and the goal so truth freedom and prosperity those pillars that uh, we live under natural law with truth freedom and prosperity as our goal for all you know, that live on the planet, then that's where 
I'm coming from sitting here and doing a podcast like this and fumbling things together and trying to get tech working and dealing with all the ego things of how I look and oh, how do I sound and oh my God, that one person that one time said that one thing and working through all that to sit on a Saturday afternoon where I could be doing things with my family or my children or out, you know, washing the car or uh, watching TV or something. Why, what would it, what would, uh, cause a person like myself to sit and do something like this instead and try to build up a, f- a following and try to get the word out there. It's because I'm coming from a place of wanting to be able to help people. And I guess I could just say period, stop the end. That's it. <laughs> All right. So just a little bit more about why I'm here. And and what I've noticed is again, that it helps. I think if you kind of break out information slowly in bits and hand it out over a long period of time and don't really have a high expectation of what people are going to do with that, but rather, you know, have it be there where they can passively go through it and build it out in a way that's consumable to them. And that makes sense. And I'm just getting started. Someone today, uh, earlier today complimented me on my work. And I said, you know what, man, I, I feel like I really haven't even gotten started yet. Like I'm just barely getting up off the ground and started with this work. And in a way, that's a good feeling because like everything that I've done up until now feels like it's been just practice. And then also I have that long-term vision of wanting to build out uh, a stream of consciousness that again, at least what it could do is help people who do want to be in closer relationship with me understand more of my worldview, right? So at a minimum, it may do that with family and friends that are close to me. And uh, it's had a positive effect on me to, to, to produce and try to up my game and to try to get better at doing this. So I also enjoy that aspect of things that I have to try to do better. I have to try to be better to have the website and produce the content and keep it going and keep it up there and keep it distributed. That's a very difficult thing to do for a personal project that's not like highly monetized or all these other things that would motivate someone to stick with the project. Uh, but rather that it's, uh, again, it's, it's also helping me. So do I need to go on? No, I don't. Let's move on. All right. So again, the white lab coat problem, the Milner experiments, the Stanford prison experiments, these things would need to be understood when you're going into conversation with people about any of the stuff that we're going to go into today. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not good to go and attack someone who doesn't understand everything about COVID or about uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci or how uh, Carrie Mullis, the guy who created the PCR tests, says that they're using them incorrectly and they shouldn't even be used in the way that they are to identify that coronavirus and that Dr. Anthony Fauci has no idea what he's talking about. Or, uh, you know, again, if people believe the science and the mainstream narrative and they're going to go get the vaccine, maybe you'd want to tell them some of what you know about you know, what's going on with the vaccine. Some of them are even getting pulled. Some of them are are injuring people, um, you know, before it's too late. But there's a fine line between sort of attacking someone's psychology of what they're not willing to deal with. Now you've become the aggressor, right? Now you're becoming like um, the one who's going in and detonating bombs in other people's psychological area that they're not able to deal with. So it's it's a dichotomy. It's a paradox or something right that we're in a situation where we're headed towards a cliff in a lot of ways and the way to stop that is to help spread awareness and get people off their apathetic couch and get them moving Um, but doing that can also be an, an affront or an attack on their psychological condition 
And then you may be making it worse for them or for yourself by trying to do that. So let's jump to a quote if we can here. Now, this is the first time I've viewed this presentation software to do quotes like this. So it should be fine, though. Let's go here. This is something I pulled from an older James Corbett documentary, and I just screenshotted this. I thought it was a good quote here. And it says, this is from uh, Zbigniew Zbigniew Brzezinski's book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. In the technocratic society, says Zbig, the trend would seem to be towards the aggregation of the individual support of millions of uncoordinated citizens, easily within the reach of magnetic and attractive personalities, exploiting the latest communications techniques to manipulate emotions and control reason. So kind of like the technotronic, technocratic, technopoly that he's talking about. Uh, It would trend would seem to be towards the aggregation of the individual support of millions of uncoordinating citizens, easily within the reach of magnetic and attractive personalities, exploiting the latest communication techniques to manipulate emotions and reason. Just to read it again there. So, good opening to the psychological warfare, uh, psychological operations is what I meant to say, episode here and bringing technocracy into the mix and how really uh, I think another good person to go look into and one of the books uh, that you could read about and and one of the organizations that you could read about is the Trilateral Commission and then read about uh, the Trilaterals over Washington by uh, Patrick Wood and you can see that book here and in you know technocracy and the trilaterals are talking it's just talking about just to be brief about a small group of people using the mechanisms at hand in the modern day to you know create the techno the techno uh panopticon basically and the techno gulag uh being able to have this sort of control over large swaths of people and even like psychological conditioning and control through the means of technology. And so a technocrat would be someone who has a certain worldview, going back again to the worldviews of social Darwinism and of a Malthusian uh, way of seeing things, that there's a scarcity always around the corner is this disaster to humanity that we need to solve for. And then seeing that their positioning in the world is superior in the social hierarchy of things and that they are genetically, intelligently, just fundamentally superior than the average uh, basic dipshit out there, average blue pill people, and not even just that, but the apathetic masses, the slave masses that have been created as a slave class of people who don't understand their slaves, but in all reality and in every condition, you know, are treated and behave as slaves so technocracy has this worldview that there is a master-slave relationship there is a central ruling authority figure power of people that can make decisions for other people and in fact that's not just something that is happening but something that needs to happen and should happen in order to you know make the world run properly so that's 
sort of the worldview that a technocrat or technocracy would be coming from. Okay, so let's go on to another quote here. And uh, this comes from the book. Let's close out a few of these terms. Don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. Okay, this book is Propaganda, The Formation of Men's Attitudes by Jacques Ellieu. And I'm going to read an excerpt from this book here. I'll pull it up. This is page 36 and 37. And I'm going to take myself off the screen here and then attempt to zoom in. Let's go to this. Oh, I see. Okay, let's do this. In a little. Please forgive me. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Again, reading from the chapter titled The Characteristics of Propaganda from Jacques Ellieu's book, Propaganda, The Formation of Men's Attitudes. And we'll just start uh, here on this paragraph. The third important conclusion drawn from the experiments made chiefly in the United States is that propaganda cannot create something out of nothing. It must attach itself to a feeling an idea, it must build on the foundation already present in the individual. The conditioned reflex can be established only on an innate reflex or prior conditioned reflex. The myth does not expand helter-skelter. Checking something here on the side. All right. It must respond to the group of spontaneous beliefs. Action cannot be obtained unless it responds to a group of already established tendencies or attitudes stemming from the schools, the environment, the regime, the churches, and so on. Propaganda is confined to utilizing existing material. It does not create it. That material falls into four categories. First, there are psychological mechanisms that permit the pro- propagandist to know more or less precisely that the individual will respond in a certain way to certain stimulus. Here, the psychologists are far from agreement. Behaviorism, depth psychology, and psychology of instincts postulate very different psychic mechanisms and see essentially different connections and motivations. Here, the propagandist is at the mercy of these interpretations. Just take a sip here. Second, opinions, conventional patterns, and stereotypes exist concretely in their particular milieu or individual or in, or individual. Third, ideologies exist which are more or less consciously shared, accepted and disseminated, and which form the only intellectual or rather para-intellectual element that must be reckoned with in propaganda. Fourth, and finally, the propagandist must concern himself above all with the needs of those of whom he wishes to reach. All propaganda must be must respond to the need, whether it be a concrete need, bread, peace, security, or work, parenthetically, or psychological need. Parenthetically, again, we shall discuss this last point at length later on. 
in parentheses. Propaganda cannot be gratuitous. The propagandist cannot simply decide to make propaganda in such and such a direction on this or that group. The group must need something, and the propaganda must respond to that need. One weakness of tests made in the United States is that far too often the experimental propaganda used did not correspond to a single need of the persons tested. The frequent error on the part of the propagandist pushing something is the failure to take into account whether or not the propagandi needs it. Of course, when we say that the propagandist has to exist has to use existing elements, we do not mean that he must use them in direct or unequivocal fashion. We have already indicated that he does that he often must use them in indirection in indirect or equivocal fashions. When he does so, he can indeed create something new. The propagandist needs to base himself on what already exists, does not oh sorry uh, let me start that over. The propagandist needs to base himself on what already exists, does not prevent him from going further. If committed to the particular to a particular opinion, would he be obligated simply to repeat indefinitely, repeated indefinitely? Because he must pay lip service to certain stereotypes, he is limited to do nothing but reproduce that stereotype. Obviously not. What exists is only the raw material from which the propagandist can create something strictly new, which in all probability would not have sprung up spontaneously, like without the propagandist, you know. Um, There's an interesting section on Marx here, so let's just keep reading. Uh, What exists only in the raw material from which the propagandist can create something strictly new, which in all probability would have not sprung up spontaneously. Take, for example, unhappy workers threatened by unemployment, exploited poorly paid, and without hope of improving their situation. Karl Marx has clearly demonstrated that they might have a certain spontaneous reaction of revolt, and that some sporadic outburst might occur. But that this will not develop into anything else and will lead nowhere. With propaganda, however, the same situation and the existing sentiments might be used to create a class consciousness and a lasting and organized revolutionary trend. So I think, you know, what he's saying there is like how the workers are are unhappy, they're feeling mistreated, they and then they're more easily so- sold uh, communism or uh, Marxism. So propaganda can take an existing situation and manifest things out of it that weren't necessarily there before and then create something around that that can be a new theme, a new pitch, a new product, a new action that someone will take. And so he's kind of differentiating there between like good propagandist, bad propagandist. I don't know. I think it's a word that means like manipulation and that you're attempting to thwart someone's, you know, behavior in a way that they would not have done before and that doesn't necessarily serve them in a w- in a good way or that's not necessarily good for them just because uh you know they're deciding to take an action based on the propaganda that you've given them um so let's just go after that uh introduction from Jacques Eliou thank you Jacques and uh that was again from the formation of men's attitudes a 1965-1973 revision book uh from the French edition was in 1962 
The book is the subject of propaganda by French philosopher, theologian, legal scholar, and sociologist Jacques Elieu. The book, and hopefully I'm saying that right, or I'll, I'll feel like dumb when I'm listening to this again. I think that's how you say it. Anyway, so that's that book. Now I want to go into a quick clip from Corbett, and uh, he's going to s- explain to us just uh, so PSYOPs 101, an introduction to psychological operations, and uh, Corbett does a great job, so we'll give him his four-minute clip here, and I'll see you back in just a moment. Welcome. This is James Corbett of The Corbett Report with your eye-opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com. PSYOPs, or psychological operations, is a term used to describe the techniques of psychological manipulation used in warfare. These operations are used to deceive, confuse, disrupt, and demoralize the enemy with an aim toward weakening enemy resistance or even causing enemy forces to surrender and enemy populations to capitulate. As the flip side to the ancient wisdom that knowledge is key to all successful warfare strategies, the art of deliberately sowing deception has been understood and practiced for thousands of years. Over 2,000 years ago, the use of deception and psychological manipulation as a tool of combat was detailed in Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu's The Art of War. All warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable of attacking, feign incapacity. When active in moving troops, feign inactivity. More than a theory, though, psychological warfare has been used since the dawn of recorded history. One of the earliest and simplest examples of PSYOPs trickery occurred over 3,000 years ago in the Trojan War. In a bid to end the war, the Greeks pretended to sail away, leaving a giant wooden horse as an offering to the goddess Athena. The Trojans, believing themselves to have finally won the battle, took the horse into Troy as a victory trophy. As the legend goes, the horse in fact contained a team of Greek soldiers who slipped out of the horse in the night, opening the city gates for their compatriots who had sailed back under cover of night. The Greeks took the city that night and ended a ten-year siege with one simple act of psyops trickery. Another oft-recounted tale of psychological warfare from the ancient world revolved around Alexander the Great. Contemplating a retreat during one of his Asian campaigns, he was worried that the enemy forces would pursue his army. He is said to have had an oversized suit of armor casted and left behind when his forces withdrew, so that when the enemy found it they would believe him and his men to be giants, dissuading them from pursuit. Genghis Khan's marauding Mongolian hordes were likewise helped by coordinated PSYOPs campaigns. In advance of those campaigns, he would send emissaries to targeted settlements to spread word of the fearsome Mongolian army and to demand surrender. When facing an enemy, Genghis Khan would order his troops to light three torches at night to give the impression of greater numbers, and attach instruments to horses' tails so the dust clouds in their wake would make a small force appear much larger. But in the modern age, just as the 20th century gave rise to new techniques of warfare, so too did it see the birth of new methods of psyops, deception, and propaganda. The dawn of the age of air travel began the age of the aerial bombardment. So too did it give rise to the idea of dropping leaflets on enemy installations, urging enemy forces to surrender. Nationalists in the Spanish Civil War used loudspeakers to broadcast messages into Republican areas, urging them to give up the fight. In the Pacific Theater in World War II, 
Tokyo Rose broadcast Japanese propaganda messages meant to demoralize American GIs. Many of these simple techniques of propaganda dissemination are still used today, like this NATO propaganda broadcast from Italy via shortwave dissuading Libyans from resisting the NATO invasion last year. NATO warships are here to assist in supporting a United Nations Security Council resolution to enforce a maritime embargo in order to protect Libyan civilians. Do not target NATO vessels. If you target NATO vessels, you will be destroyed. You've been watching an excerpt of this week's Eye Opener Report. To continue watching the report, please log into BoilingFrogsPost.com. Which... Which, who knows if the Boiling Frogs post even exists anymore, but those are old school Corbett clips that he used to do, uh, giving a nice brief intro to the topic of psychological warfare there. and uh, Or sorry, psychological operations. Two distinct things that are not the same thing, okay? It's not the same, says the military in an article I was reading today. Why is the public so confused that psychological operations are not the same thing as psychological warfare? All right. Um, but yeah, so that was a great little introduction clip from Corbett there. Now, the next thing I want to go into real quick is the creature of control web brain on this particular topic. This is available at tylerblur.com slash brain. Uh, it's free version to use on the web. I don't have a packaged for sale version to download and all that because I just use this to pull up in situations like this where we're talking about psychological warfare. One good thing to look into in regards to that would be false flag operations. And uh, false flag operations are connected to, uh, in my brain, you know, the creature of control, uh, the CIA, the dark occult, Occult Season of Sacrifice, uh, International Banking, Intelligence Networks, the FBI, uh, Occult Season of Sacrifice, the Nazis used a lot of false fag and psychological operations, thesis, antithesis, synthesis dialectic, or in other words, problem, reaction, solution, mates. Problem, reaction, solution. Don't you know, it's the Hegelian dialectic. Notice I didn't call it that here because it's, comp well, oh, look at that. The thing I have linked is Hegel. Damn it. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from the common conspiracy theorist trap that George Wil Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, his only thing and only thing to be known for should be the dialectic and I don't even think like he ever goes into problem, reaction, solution, or people get into this and start repeating basic uh, sort of like errors that go along in conspiracy circles. One would be that Hegel is the father of all uh, false flags <laughs> or something like that. And that, like, George Hegel was responsible for 9-11 because of his Hegelian dialectic or something. It's completely ridiculous. But anyway, so looks like I have some cleaning up here to do myself because I am linking him above. Uh, dialectics is a totally different thing than 
problem reaction solution and di- dialectical thinking or argumentation is is a different thing than what conspiracy theorists are getting wrong and oh the Hegelian dialectic and you know Ike has not done a great job at making that any better with his problem reaction solution but it's 100% accurate as far as a method though thesis antithesis and th- th- synthesis is a good example of sort of how psychological operations tie into a goal and what the Jacques was talking about there as far as being able to create something from a base not necessarily from just nothing at all but from where a person's at graduating them to somewhere else somewhere where you'd like them to go of course that would tie into mind control and uh being able to control someone's mind which is what external government is its control of your mind and gubernare mentes the word itself means mind control so with self-governance that's great right because you need to control your own mind but with government being a top-down authoritarian control of your mind is that really what you'd like to advocate for when you're advocating for government you're advocating for control of your mind or others right and not by yourself. So it's, again, going back to, I think it's a good thing to control your own mind and be self-governing or live in Swaraj uh, under natural law. But uh, anyway, that's I, d- I just wanted to point people to the fact that there was a section in here on psychological warfare and operation, and perhaps I will be able to get some more things in there before the show is fully posted up with the pono- show notes, uh, some of the things that we talked about today. Uh, obviously that links into 9-11 and the war on terror, uh, but let's continue on the show. Okay. Um, again, today the goal would be to just get a basic foundation laid for psychological operations, not to necessarily show all the different examples. Although I I felt like I did show a really good example there in the beginning with, uh, the Kuwaiti girl and the babies and incubators thing. Uh, what did we have recently that could have been anything like that at all? Oh, yeah, uh, Greta Thunberg and the... How dare you, you people and your gas heaters and your gasoline vehicles? How dare you? Just checking something here. Um, one man solo produ- producer, guys, so sometimes I gotta check things that distract me. And then I get... At least I don't have, like, a chat scrolling with, like, hundreds of people because <laughs> that and like the grand theft world productions that gets pretty distracting in itself just watching and maybe that's a rule of thumb i should make is just don't look at the chats but just checking them out now actually while we're here i have a lot of the Streamlabs stuff hooked up now so if somebody follows or likes or subscribes or donates to the show uh, there'll be a little pop-up guy that comes up and i think i've got that all configured so it's not the default zombie dude and that's here and you can leave a tip for the show that helps me keep things going that helps me uh, buy more equipment in the future that helps me pay for the infrastructure that is there to produce this show and the site and everything so it's just streamlabs.com slash tyler underscore bloyer hyphen or uh, slash tip that's kind of hard it's just in the show notes so you just click the link in the show notes and then you can leave a tip and then you can also leave a question with that and then i will read your question and address it on the air probably would do that even if you just commented somewhere else i had uh aaron keener commenting in the end slavery youtube or uh, face uh life lock uh what was it life log in qtel server 
uh, known as Facebook, CIA infrastructure. We're using it to stream out. You know, they have really good servers over there at Amazon now that the Department of Defense is working with them. You know, Department of Defense demands a certain high level of service. So Google and Amazon are using their servers. You know, I feel confident to know that the Department of Defense's money is going into creating a good infrastructure for me to be able to uh, twitch live stream out on the amazon servers now apparently amazon owns or is in control of twitch or something so twitch is uh highly uh risky to think that you're gonna stay there on the long run if you're actually trying to expose any sort of truth about anything uh and then he says amen yeah that's right brother amen a woman is what you meant to be culturally correct at the moment. Uh, a woman to that. All right. Now, so, well, what does the military ever get researching any of these psychological operations? Or, I mean, is it only that one time in the first video clip that I shared? Uh, it turns out they have a lot of writings and a lot of materials and a lot of studies and probably are leading the way on psychological operations. And okay, so my thesis is just to kind of get it out there right now, would be that there are ongoing psychological operations that are going on to the general public. The, the, the Constitution doesn't apply to you. You have no rights. And I don't mean this according to reality. I mean this according to the way that the government looks at you like a piece of gum on the bottom of their feet, basically, or bottom of their shoe that needs to be scraped off and thrown in the trash. But in the meantime, there are plenty of operations and studies we can do, and we'll pretend like it's a study, we'll pretend like it's a test, we'll say and we'll publish things that make it look like it's tests and people researching things. But what it really is, is ongoing 24-7 operations against the people that live on the continent known as America, the United States of America. And you don't have like constitutional rights that protect you from the government not harming you. All that shit has been completely scrapped at this point. There isn't that. You are a lab rat in a, in a cage who's being studied and given all kinds of forced medications and different things done to your environment to manipulate the environment to study you, to get the data, to be able to have a feedback and get uh, more done of what the what the people you know who use this information eventually utilize this stuff as a warfare technique against people to manipulate them into certain behaviors into even killing themselves into killing other people those are extreme measures but the slow death or just the 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 the, the invisible remote control that you don't know is there the humming frequency that irritates you into action, into uh, behaving in a certain way or getting out and doing something about something that's going on in the media. I'm just touching the surface here with my thesis. I'm not going to go into the full thing. That's more like the, uh, you know, just the forward. <laughs> it's uh, me tying in what we're going to tie in over the next several podcasts, or at least when we stay in this vein, I may, I may jump into something else at one point and then come back to this, but We'll kind of continue on with the military getting involved with video games, getting involved with, uh, um, you can pull up a clip of uh, Ronald Reagan saying he's super uh, excited to see what the United States Air Force comes up when it comes to uh, manipulating children with video games and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> how 
the powers that shouldn't be use the information uh, that they've gained. You have the um, what's the institute? The London School of Economics is not the one that I'm thinking of. There's there's a there's a bunch of of think tanks and the the Council on Foreign Relations type uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs groups that study this information and they have enough of it now that it's feeding back and it's folding in on us. Like they're literally able to kind of move and manipulate and have uh, basically there's a 24 seven war on you going on and you know, it'll become more apparent as we move forward. But as we, as we talk about the stuff that's more like in the, in the media or the military that I'm talking about here, keep that in mind that I'm not concerned necessarily just about the war in Iraq and how the information was used there or think that it's only used in, you know, offensive or even you could, they, they would call that defensive, like offensive military strategy out in the physical, you know, more mass wins type of war, more mass with more velocity wins type of war. This is a war of information. This is a war that goes on not just in the battlefield, but they take it back and they're they're using it on the people of all the whole planet at the moment. That that's what COVID nineteen was was a weaponized war uh, information set that was deployed as a weapon, like a nuclear bomb. Like you would drop a nuclear bomb to achieve a certain goal of getting uh, Japan to you know end in the war. In this way, you're getting people to submit to your will and the things that you'd like to carry out, as such as like. T- tagging, tracking, and databasing everybody with microchips and getting them involved in only digital currencies and being able to collapse certain governments that are sort of antiquated to this whole new technological, uh, you know, one world order thing that they're doing. Uh, that and the Great Reset, you know, everybody's getting on board with Klaus Schwab and the gang over there. You have Al Gore bringing his. Uh, dead body corpse global warming bullshit back into the scene now and tying it all into this because they're tying it all together because it's their plan to use release the information have it affect the population as we've studied it will have them start to act in the way that we'd like them to act and then we can bring in the global warming narrative again and, and tie that all into it because people weren't listening enough they weren't wanting to comply enough to our will now they're more malleable now that we've beat them up with this war this weapon known as covid and whatever 2020 was that whole thing was a designed operation to put you into lockstep with their plans right and it's so clear looking back and it'll become more clear kind of like how 9-11 some people saw it right away some people it took a decade to realize what had happened some people still don't know that they should be questioning 9-11 and what went on there and what the official narrative is and how the government doesn't always tell you the truth and neither does the media and there could be things going on on the planet that you should question and look more into before just accepting what the media is telling you. Going back to what I was talking about in the beginning of this episode, how you're up against worldview uh, paradigms. You're not up against, hey, how did how did you know the University of Fairbanks, Alaska study totally blow up the NIST reporting on how building seven fell and that there should definitely be a reinvestigation. I mean, I don't call for that. A reinvestigation. We should audit the federal reserve to see what they're doing. Like everything they're doing is exactly what they plan and lay down and tell you they're doing. You just have to not 
you know, be apathetic and ignorant to the information that's readily available to you. So it's not that the information isn't there. It's that people don't want to go through the information because they're scared of affecting their overall arching worldview. Okay, so <laughs> where are we at here? The point was the military writes on psychological operations. This is a book back in 2005. It's a I need to I need to create another view where I zoomed more in without having to do it manually. But this is 2005, uh, psychological operations. We can see some of the contents here. Introduction to psycholo uh, psychological operations. This is a, a U.S. government uh, headquartered Department of the Army field manual uh, from Washington D.C. Again. April 15th, 2005, Chapter 2, PSYOP, Mission and Instruments of National Power, Chapter 3, Organization, Function, and Capabilities, 4, Command and Control, 5, Mission Planning and Targeting, Employment, Informational Operation, blah, blah, blah. So, this is a long pamphlet, thingy, leaflet, essay, book on psychological operations from the military, and kind of how to train and get the ideas into their people that are reading these sort of things. I don't know. But I have another one that I printed out here. This one I saw from something that I was like, really? Where did you tie that in, James and James, on New World next week? Where they were talking about this in story three. Um, no, it was story two. How the information operations roadmap and how the 77th Brigade is countering COVID misinformation. They were tying in like how the military had been researching and uh, deploying things like COVID on domestic citizens. And now in this year, you do see a lot of talk about domestic terrorism and how, what are we going to do about the domestic situation? And they're starting to make people... Now, they, they would have you think that it's racists and extremists and white supremacists that they're going after. And that might be true. But main... Uh, uh, <laughs> what they really want to go after is dissent. Dissent, and we can see that with the censorship, you can see that with the psychological operations that are going on with the story in the AP about, you know, how podcasts are the new uh, problem. Let's see if I can find that really quick. AP podcasting censorship. Extremists exploit a loophole in social moderation of podcasts. Oh no, guys. The major social platforms have been cracking down on the spread of misinformation and conspiracy theories in the lead up to the presidential election and expanded their effort in the wake of January 6th Capitol riot. But Apple and Google, among others, have left a major loophole for this material. Podcasts. Podcasts made available by the very big tech companies who let blah, 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 big whiny fucking bitch, dude. I mean, come on. What, what they're saying here with this is that uh, podcasts are the new problem and that we need to go after podcasts because this is where the information is being disseminated. Well, how do you do that? I mean, because TylerBlair.com, for example, my podcast is, is a passive feed. Um, well, let's see. If I go to here, this is actually just going to take me to my feed but i so i modified that i created a feed okay 
And this is a podcast, okay? This is what a podcast looks like on the XML feed side. So people can just pull this down. How, how, do, they, how do they exactly think that they're going to stop that? I'll tell you, there's only a few ways. Now, they can attack the host of your website uh, or DNS. So if I can't resolve tylerblur.com, I'd have to know my IP, and it's probably dynamic. It's not going to stay the same. So I basically would not be able to get to this. So... Essentially, they could shut it down through DNS. If they find a podcast they don't want, they'll just turn, terminate that domain and make sure that there's no records anymore in the hosting, uh, the DNS host or the top level. Uh, the, the the authoritative name servers are under not no longer under control of the United States. They're under control of some world UN body of voting people who will kick you off the internet when they don't like what you're saying, which is going to start happening more. Has happened in the past and is what they're, referring to when they say they're going to stop podcasts because i mean google can take it off of their platform and so can like spotify obviously they can just censor you and not accept your podcast feed but like podcast addict podcast addict is an app that just goes to the i mean all of the all of them just pull in the rss feed that's how all of them work but some of them are more you know commie where they have like the social rules and bylaws and things where you can't say anything that the world health organization doesn't agree with at that moment in time and they can ban you even if they're contradicting themselves left and right but then what i want to do is pull out the latest piece of equipment it's not the latest it's the latest in the show that you don't know about piece of equipment as my lips are super drying up and i'm becoming parched for this next session i better get a nice sip here because I'm going to be doing a little reading not just from a web page which I could have easily just has pulled this up on the web page there and read it but in this case let's read from the document that I printed out here on the nice book cam now I noticed I need maybe a little better lighting in this side of the studio for the book cam it's not very well lit it does not have a light itself on it so forgive me if you can't see the text exactly, but this allows me to go through longer documents, right? Read through them, tag them with, uh, in this case, I had highlighters and sticky notes to be able to find the page and then little sections that I highlight. And then now I can show you the document more in a way, like if it's online, I mean, maybe I could take some notes on where the point is that I wanted to read and then I'd have to go find that or have it all laid out. In this case, it makes more sense to have it pre-laid out like this. And it just ups the production value and everything like that. And, uh, you know, Richard on the Grand Theft World kind of inspired me to do this because he's always pulling out the document cam and he's got the documents. And folks, if you don't have the documents, you, you basically don't know what you're talking about. Even if you don't actually ever show the documents, but you just keep saying you have them, that's the way. Well... Folks, we're going to show the documents today. We're going to take time for your calls. Trust me, I won't interrupt you. Uh, by the way, I do have the TylerBlair.com live stream show up. You can see that um, in the Discord. If you wanted to call in, you can. Probably won't have a lot of time for calls today. But folks, if, we'll take time for the callers later. I just got to go into this material right now or I won't get it off my desk. But you see my little, I'm popping there. You can hear it in there, and then I would be able to actually go and take your live comment, if you had one, in the show. 
and let's go back here and we'll zoom in a little bit. This is the information operation roadmap, one right turn and we're there by Colonel David Smith, project advisor at uh, the US Army War College. Carlson, Barocks, Pennsylvania, 17013. All right, and the first thing I wanted to show is this is from March 26th of 2007. And so gives you a little bit of context on the time. And the first section I wanted to go into here, the case for transformation. See if you can see that okay. Okay, I'll move that up a little bit. The administration argues that the new technologies make defense transformation possible, and the new threats to the U.S. security make defense transformation necessary. Hold on one sec. Oh, sorry, the family just got home and I realized I had the door open. So that would have been a lot of background noise. Going back. The administration argues that the new technologies make defense. Tech, oh, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Uh, make defense transformation possible, and that new threats to U.S. security make defense transformation necessary. Among the new technologies profoundly impacting military operations are those in the area of information technology. The Congressional Research Service report on defense transformation says. The administration's vision for the defense transformation calls for shifting the U.S. military away from reliance on massed forces, sheer quantity of firepower, military services operating in isolation from one another, and attrition-style warfare, and toward a greater reliance on joint interoperational, or sorry, integrated multi-service operation network-centric warfare, NCW. Effects-based operations, EBO, sped, speed and agility, and precision application of firepower. Some transformation advocates characterize these changes as shifting from the industrial age approach to the war to, um, to war to an informational age approach. Okay, so they're moving towards a more information-aged approach of warfare, and uh, we'll move on here. Then we go into the information age. Is it really upon us? Okay, this is on page two of the document. And I realize, I mean, the lighting's okay on the screen, but I think I need to get like a little desk light here or something, make it brighter. Okay, so we'll just, this is kind of in the way there too, that first sentence. With so much of the U.S. military transformation resting on the ability to gain and maintain a significant advantage through the application of new technologies, particular information technologies is the important, it is important to determine if the underlying assumption has merit. In their book, War and Anti-War, Survival at the Dawn of the 21st Century, renowned futurist Alvin and Heidi Toffler assert that throughout history, the way that men and women make war has reflected the way they work. The Toffler's model for the evolution of societies uses the analogy of waves to describe the major shifts in civilization throughout history. 
Their model included three waves, the first being the agrarian age. They maintained that the second wave, known as the industrial age, is currently giving way to the third wave of information age. So they're talking about these three different ages that we're moving through and in regards to how humans connect, conduct warfare. The Tofflers also observed that the societies from each wave exist simultaneously in today's world, and those reflecting the qualities of the latter waves tend to dominate societies from earlier waves. This, along with Toffler's assertion that the manner in which societies build wealth influences how they make war. Mean, that means the United States should enjoy distinct advantages over most nations based on its integration of information and information technologies in both disciplines. According to Toffler's views, it seems that the administration rationale for transformation of the military is a, is on solid ground. And then they go in and like talk about Walmart and how they should be doing things more the Walmart way. So creating wealth the Walmart way. The Tofflers explained that one of the main distinctions between second wave and third wave economies this way. While land, labor, and raw material are capital and capital were the main factors of production in the second wave economy of the past, knowledge, broadly defined here to include data, information, images, symbols, culture, ideology, and values, is the central resource of the third wave economy. So the third wave is kind of like the fourth uh, generational warfare, right? Or fifth generational warfare. Considering the Toffler's view, okay, so that's where I decided to end there. So that's interesting, you know, just giving us a place in time. America is the biggest and baddest because we have the most technological power in the third wave, right? So that's why we're able to easily dominate and topple our enemies, according to this document. And what I would, in my thesis, according to how they treat, how they would go about doing this locally. Let's hit this, see if we can get a better. Zoom on there, All right, or a better focus, okay. Again, first time using the uh, the book cam here, folks, so bear with me. We'll get better as time goes on. Checking a couple of the tech things here. Looks like everything's going just fine. Swimmingly. Okay, so now we're on page eight of this document, Information Operations Roadmap, One Right Turn, and we're there from uh, Colonel Brian James McKinnon, McKimmon of the United States Army, uh, U.S. Army War College. In the section, Information Warfare in Operation Desert Storm. And we're trying to lead up to the point where we talked, we heard about in Corbett's documentary where they were, or uh, New World Next Week, where they were talking about um, how the army deployed informational strategies and techniques in the in uh, COVID is what they were kind of saying in that clip, and I wanted to go in and dig into a little bit more of that. So just where we're at with this. So I printed out the document that they referred to, and we're reading from that on page eight. The term informational operations has not been coined when the United States led the coalition in 1991 war to the eject to eject Iraqi forces from Kuwait. Even so, oh wait, yeah, that's right. That that girl, the baby's in you know what? I think the baby's in incubator story I mixed up with the uh 2003 Iraq war and I what I meant was 
that it was this uh, 1991 uh, war. Uh, Operation Desert Storm was what that was. So sorry, I messed that up earlier. At least I caught it live in the show. Yeah, I get that confused. I've, d- I've done that before. But I, what I meant is that Desert Storm. That's what that was, okay? So the term information, da-da-da, even so, coalition forces under command of General Norman. Here, I'm just going to open this up. It's easier. I can kind of go like this, okay? Even so, the coalition forces under command of General Norman Schwarzkopf developed a campaign plan that foreshadowed current information operation doctrinal concepts. Key components of the strategy to defeat the Iraqi forces in Kuwait and restore Kuwaiti sovereignty relied upon integrating four of the five core capabilities in today's information operation, operational security, OPSEC, military deception, MILDEC, psychological operations, PSYOP, and electronic warfare, EW. That's another interesting section there, but we're going to move forward, trying to find some of the more information we were hearing from James and James there. Here's another section on page 10 that I had outlined is interesting to read. Starting in the middle of this page, one U.S. brigade commander responsible for an area of operations in central Baghdad at the outset of the SSTR operation noted I quickly recovered that IO, informational operations, was going to be one of the most vital tools along with human intelligence. I would need to be successful in counterinsurgency, coin campaign. However, upon examination of the commander's information operations, it was clear that the primary focus of the brigade's information operation was on influencing the behavior of the neutral population rather than adversary decision-making. Thus, this commander described his concept for IO in the following way. Now, keep in mind that the military is supposed to be attacking military targets and involved in toppling Saddam Hussein or whatever, right? And now they've jumped ahead a bit here. Now they actually are in Operation Iraqi Freedom, I believe, talking about the 2003 war. So I've jumped ahead. And now um, he's talking about after Saddam had been toppled now. Okay. So this is important because it's key that they've realized that taking on the military with these operations is not what's been most effective. What's been most effective in in, uh, getting their operations done is persuading the local people in persuading the public and persuading um, what they call here uh, neutral population, the neutral population. Or, and then he says he's observed it in the following way. This commander described the concepts of IO in the following way. Our overall target audience was clearly the silent majority. However, to reach them and to ensure that our message and themes would resonate with them, we determined that we needed to use mainly Iraqi proxies to convey our messages. We therefore identified five groups of the Iraqis that had significant influence among the population, local imams and priests, local and district council members, staff and faculty from the universities, Arab and international media, and the local sheikhs to the tribal leaders. 
consistent with the and then end quote persistent with the preponderance of tactical commanders and many operational commanders in IOF OIF this commander's views psyops civil military operations and public affairs as the central effort of the information operation in COIN and SSTR operations the highlights and this highlights an inconsistency between the current definition of IO and how the most commanders view IO. The current definition does not include operations intended to influence the behavior or decision-making of foreign neutral or friendly populations. So what's that all about? How come that was the most effective thing? So maybe that's just what we take away from that, what they learned, that it was more effective to work with the friendlies and the and the neutral population to dissuade and uh, manipulate, I don't know, the more fringy Iraqi forces that were anti-democracy at that time as they cleaned up things. Um, yeah, so that's, that. there was more, I think that was the most interesting part that I found that tied into that, is that they are studying, let's see, actually I had another page highlighted here. That was, uh, I just wanted to see what these IBD reference was. Uh, 21 was the reference there, 23, okay. Well, anyway, so I thought that was interesting. I'm sure that maybe there's more tidbits in here that could be pulled out in regards to psychological operations and doing it against the population. But at that, I felt like that also sort of highlighted what I was talking about earlier with my thesis is that these things are not just learned about in the in the battlefield and they're not just carried out in the battlefield these things are done ongoing it's an ongoing operation and they're currently this is being these sort of operations are being deployed on the whole world uh militarily to affect our and change our behavior and um so that will be in the show notes on an archive link that you can access and get to and download that document for yourself and go through it what I'd like to do now is just switch into intermission uh, for today's show, which is really more like rounding, winding things down. I'm going to come back from this clip that I'll play until I think about 10 to 12 minutes of this clip. And then I'll come back and wind down the show and uh, do a little outro. And then in part two, we're going to go into more of the, let's see, A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O. P R S T U V W which letter did I skip there? That's what we're going to go into a little bit next week and uh how that's a total psyop or at least parts and aspects of what it's how it's been used in in the way uh that it was used that we can uncover easily our psyops. I'm not saying I know everything for sure that everything that I can call it a psyop. And then uh domestic terrorism military and video games um and uh department of defense contracts and more of the lmnop rs you stuff and then uh we'll do a little outro today as well with uh, another clip that i had so i have a couple more clips so we'll just kind of go through those and uh psychological operations and psychological warfare what a better clip to show than scott noble's uh, the intro to his film Psy War documentary from Free Mind Films. And this is, a, like I said, about a 12-minute clip that we'll go into here, and then I'll come back.
Huh. Is it muted or is it just quiet? Beginning. We need the most sophisticated. Says PSYOP, psychological operations. Any form of communication in support of objectives designed to influence the opinions, emotions, attitudes, or behaviors of any group in order to benefit the sponsor, either directly or indirectly. And that's a... from DOD U.S. Army Field Manual 33. Maybe we should go pull that one up, huh? 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 Here in the United States, we're often brought up and told we don't have propaganda, that we have a hard-charging investigative press, we have this educated, skeptical, even cynical citizenry, and that if there were powerful interests trying to manage and manipulate public opinion, uh, they would be exposed. The reality actually is just the opposite. Academics like Alex Carey and others who've uh, spent uh, their lifetimes looking at how propaganda works finds that it's actually in Western democracies and open societies where you need the most sophisticated sorts of propaganda. And since World War I, thanks to people like Ivy Lee and Eddie Bernays, you know, propaganda has become a business, this business of public relations. Or as one of the firms that has often represented uh, dictators, the Burson Marsteller firm puts it, um, their business is perception management to manage uh, public perception, uh, public policy, on behalf of their clients, whoever they might be. Throngs of Iraqis spontaneously attack a statue of Saddam Hussein, the face obscured with old glory. Later, the stars and stripes are replaced with red, white, and black, symbolizing the transference of power from the liberators to the liberated. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld describes the scenes as breathtaking. For the British Army, they are historic. BBC Radio calls them amazing. And they were, because the entire event was staged. Years after the operation, a U.S. Army report admitted that the toppling of the Saddam statue had been engineered by a psychological operations group. The document states, Our TPT, or Tactical PSYOP team, saw the statue as a target of opportunity. 
A week earlier, another psychological operation laid the groundwork for what followed. The script was for a female Rambo turned damsel in distress to be rescued by U.S. armed forces. In the situation that we're, we're talking about here with Private Lynch, uh, as you know, on about the 23rd of March, her uh, 507th maintenance company was ambushed. A number of the uh, members of that maintenance company were killed, a number captured, and a number were unaccounted for, she being one of them. We waited 24 hours to get the cameras there to set up the whole thing to make this, this big rescue and the SWAT team goes in to save her, and then she becomes an instant celebrity overnight. That story happened the same day that the tanks were rolling into Baghdad. That's the same day that we shelled the Palestine Hotel where the independent journalists were. The same day we blew up Al Jazeera's television station. And killed one of their journalists. Oh, what we're getting on the front pages of the papers and in the news is the rescue of Jessica Lynch. So that was a PR substitute story. Toppling the asylum statue, they got Shalabi's group. The Renning group had actually formed them. The CIA had paid the Renning Group to form the Iraqi Congress as a countergroup to Saddam Hussein, and they were based here in the U.S. Then they flew them over there and they shipped them into Iraq. They were the ones that were standing around the, the statue as, you know, a tank was used to pull it over. The Renning Group had been around. He worked for George W.'s father, and he worked for Clinton, too. His firm, he used to be a public relations press guy for Carter, and he created a PR firm that specialized in the war. The head of the Rendon Group, John Rendon, denies that he is a national security strategist or a military tactician. Rather, he states, I am a politician and a person who uses communication to meet public policy or corporate policy objectives. In fact, I am an information warrior and a perception manager. Following the first Gulf War, Rendon was paid $23 million by the CIA to create anti-Saddam propaganda. Following 9-11, he was charged with public relations for the U.S. bombing of Afghanistan. Rendon is far from alone. Public relations has mushroomed into a $200 billion a year industry, with PR flags in the United States now outnumbering journalists. Propaganda has become the primary means by which the wealthy communicate with the rest of society. Whether selling a product, a political candidate, a law, or a war, Seldom do the powerful deliver messages to the public before consulting their colleagues in the public relations industry. Colin Powell presents a now typical case. He didn't choose a seasoned diplomat for the position of Undersecretary of State. Instead, he chose Charlotte Beers, known in PR circles as the Queen of Madison Avenue. Her resume includes successful advertising campaigns for Head & Shoulders Dander Shampoo, Uncle Ben's rice, and now, Uncle Sam. You see a news show, you watch 60 Minutes or a Fox program or whatever it is, you tend to give more credibility to what you're told is journalism. If an advertisement comes on, hopefully you tend to be more skeptical of that because obviously somebody put an awful lot of money into crafting this slick TV ad and airing it. But what you probably never suspect is that that news story you just watched was also crafted by a company given to the TV station or network with the understanding that they would put their own logos on it, 
identify it as real journalism and air it. Colonel Sam Gardner would eventually chart 50 false news stories created and leaked by the Bush White House propaganda apparatus prior to and during the assault on Iraq. Foremost amongst these were the lies that led to the war in the first place. It was not bad intelligence that led to the invasion, concludes Gardner. It was an orchestrated effort that began before the war and was meticulously planned to manipulate the public. In 2002, when uh, the Bush administration was conducting its uh, massive public relations campaign to sell the war, out of Donald Rumsfeld's office in the Pentagon, there was something now referred to as the Pentagon Pundits Program, where literally scores of former high-ranking military generals and admirals and colonels were getting their talking points for their appearances on TV news shows directly from the Pentagon. They would literally uh, go to the Pentagon, be on phone conferences with the Pentagon, travel with the Pentagon, and then go on TV as supposedly independent sources. Although most of them were actually being paid in the private sector because these are retired military officials by defense contractors, and many of them were actually registered lobbyists for military contractors. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest right away when your bread and butter is based on being able to sell armaments and bombs and missiles, and uh, you're supposed to be just a patriotic ex-general giving an honest opinion of what's going on. And even though that's illegal, there's no way to really stop it. And the most powerful medium through which it occurred refuses to even report on the scandal. You've got just a massive problem, and and that's where we're at. There were clear warning signs long before the age of the invent. During the assault on Serbia under President Clinton, a report emerged by the Dutch journalist Abe de Vries, revealing the presence of Psy warriors working at CNN. They derived from the 3rd Psychological Operations Battalion at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. De Vries quoted Major Thomas Collins of the U.S. Army Information Service. PSYOPs personnel, soldiers, and officers have been working in CNN's headquarters in Atlanta through our program, training with industry. They helped in the production of news. What made the Iraq War different were not so much the tactics or even the scale, but the high-tech synergy. It was almost impossible to tell where the state ended and the fourth estate began. One of the things that we don't want to do is to destroy the infrastructure of Iraq because in a few days we're going to own that country. Should they have used more? Should they, you know, use a Moab, the mother of all bombs, and well, a few daisy cutters? And, right. you know, let's not just stop I, at a couple of cruise missiles. <laughs> The invasion of Iraq represents a pinnacle of domestic psi war in the United States, an unparalleled integration between public relations firms, corporate media, and military psyops. At the time of the assault, large segments of the American public were convinced that a nuclear attack by Saddam Hussein on their nation was not only possible, but imminent. Soldiers who comprised the invading force were similarly confused with a remarkable 77% believing that Hussein was responsible for the attacks of 9-11. Many earnestly believed that the mission was to destroy a mysterious group known as Al-Qaeda while bringing freedom to the Iraqi people. 
Yet what was actually happening was what the Nuremberg Charter describes as the single greatest crime under international law. The planning, preparation, initiation, or waging of a war of aggression. Seven years later, the results of the invasion are clear. According to The Lancet, one of Britain's most respected medical journals, approximately 600,000 Iraqis had been killed from the invasion as of 2006. By 2009, a polling agency put the number at over 1 million. 4 million Iraqis have been made refugees in their own country. Their entire society is shattered. How did the land of the free and the home of the brave arrive at a place where citizens could be manipulated with such efficiency and on such a massive scale? Our story begins in an unlikely place, a coal mine. So you could catch the full uh, documentary in the show notes. It's an awesome film from Scott Noble, Free Mind, Free Mind Films. And I'll put that again in the show notes so you can see the whole full thing. Highly suggested, as I said, and that lined up perfectly with what I was talking about earlier, that this isn't just used out in uh, the foreign battlefields. This is a two-sided equation. I mean, there's it's like a loop back and forth, right? Like this... They couldn't have gotten what they did in Iraq after 2001 without the manipulation of the public to think the 70%. Did you hear what she said there? 70% of people thought that it was Saddam Hussein that was responsible for 9-11. That wasn't a mistake at that time. They were manipulating us. And in history, now looking back, oh, it's a little fuzzy. Oh, no, it was Al-Qaeda and uh, Osama bin Laden, right? But at the time... If you go back and, you know, I was old enough to remember the pitch, the narrative at the time was that Iraq somehow had this link to 9-11 and it was all tied in. And again, you know, the low estimates, 150,000 civilian deaths, the high estimates of a million. And that's from, uh, I believe, uh, Brown's University Browns College. I'll look up the stat and put it in the show notes, but there's estimates and even the estimates, I guess we can't be sure about that. You know, it's possible that a million people, innocent people, were murdered uh, by the United States military during that operation. And if that somehow is okay with you, and that doesn't disturb you at all, to know that there were these manipulating factors that were going on, and then there's this high uh, casualty of death that's probably, like I said, these estimates are probably nowhere near, and it doesn't, it doesn't quantify the suffering, and it doesn't quantify what has been lost to just even look at those numbers. And maybe that's why people are so cold to that information and don't care to look into the possibilities that could be ongoing when we know that the media is working like they were saying there with, you know, psychological operations, military uh, apparatus. And then, um, you know, do you think that just stopped there? You don't think that's going on still? And then you're going to go and trust known liars and believe what they're saying over people who actually research and look into this stuff, you know? Let me just make sure I'm coming into the stream there. That would be 
I haven't had any major snafus yet today, so I was wondering what was going on, if there was going to be one. So, you know, again, the thesis is is that there's still things to be looking at that are ongoing now that we need to be aware of, that our psychological operations against, you know, whatever the phrase is you want to use for the people that live on this piece of land here. I don't like citizen. I don't even like people. These are legal terms. Uh, these are These are terms of your enslavement not an endearment. Uh, there are terms of people who rule and control you, and they call you these things in a legal f- way to create... Anyway, I don't want to go down that. It just sounds like lunacy even more. So I think the way that we've stuck with things today has not uh, sounded insane or crazy. It's very consistent. Uh, that's, again, I would suggest to go back with that documentary and take a look. Um, there was the snafu I made but mixing up the uh, early... Uh, Iraqi uh, Operation Desert Storm with Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, but, you know, the PSYOPs there were Rumsfeld and uh, the all the other people, Cheney, and uh, I forget the one guy's name, but holding up the anthrax, Colin Powell, and, you know, oh, the weapons of mass destruction, and they're releasing anthrax everywhere, and uh, the dark winter, right? Dark winter. Uh, Grand Theft World, we did, we've covered a bit of how we were in the Dark Winter 2.0. We know we've hinted at, and not not we've hinted at, we've pulled clips and showed uh, how Biden has even referenced Dark Winter several times. So that's, you know, that's a, to them on the inside, that's a, a signal, a cue, a clue as to what's really going on, you know, with this whole operation. It's an operation. COVID was a planned operational warfare information warfare unloaded and aimed directly at the world all of the people of the world and it was so well thought out and planned that to me it was obvious at the time when it was all going down that this this was the fuckers is what i said this is the fuckers this is they're doing their thing where they're going to collapse all the things that they don't want around anymore including you know all the calamities you see happening right now in our own financial markets and our own uh things that are going on this week right Calamity, uh, major calamity, and uh, that calamity is creating a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you know, after Trump, we can now say that look, look how bad everything was under him, and these these pseudo uh, libertarian uh, philosophy that they're trying to attack and lump in with Trump somehow, as if he at all, just because he like had an individual personality, somehow he stood for individual rights, like bullshit. You know, he didn't stand for individual rights more than he, you know, stands up to tee off his golf in the morning while everything, everybody else is suffering and he's out there having a good old time, you know, not to say that someone can't enjoy their success, but the psyop of what they're going to roll out now is like the, the individual, the Trump supporter, these are the enemies, the, the people who are the Randian uh, staunch individualists, right? Uh, the Pope came out a couple years back saying the same thing. Libertarianism is the most dangerous philosophy. So domestic terrorism, and then you look at the psychological warfare, and then you look at the information war that was released last year, and you see that their tactic is to, you know, deal with the dissent this way. This is how they'll pin the dissent down and then slowly start picking off the people that aren't going along with the new, the new uh, normal, right? The new way of things. So our ability to combat that is to use our voices, to use our abilities. Um, as you can see here, I opened up talking about how 
we're working on uh, the Grand Theft World project. We're working on uh, the One Great Work Network. I'm doing the TylerBlair.com show, uh, Consciousness Stream on my website or wherever that ends up. I have it all archived and backed up all over the place, and we'll continue to do so. And uh, in the long run of things, I think like we provide enough information that we don't have to go around trying to shake our neighbor, trying to shake our relatives awake and do all these things. It's just apparent, like it becomes more commonsensical, the things that are going on rather than conspiracy theory. And, you know, we, we have to combat some of these things that are going on. It's conspiracy theory, the term itself is a psychological operation, psychological program. It's a program out there running in people's brains to turn off thinking, to turn off critical thought, to stop asking questions, to act like they know it all. And because there's some body out there known as the scientific consensus or the truth that has somehow they have all the facts and we can just listen to them, um, then they don't, they can shut off critical thinking. They can shut off discernment. They can shut off judgment. They can be apathetic to looking into information for themselves. They can take a back seat to their life into the uh, direction of humanity and freedom and not participate in it. Cause you know, the scientific community's got it all figured out. Someone's knocking at my door. I do have some, some things to go do with the children. I'm going to change out Vincent's guitar strings right after this. That's what's next on the schedule. Uh, he has my old Squire, Fender Squire, and uh, needs new strings on it. Should probably put some new strings on the old Gibson as well. And uh, we'll get to the show notes up. Like in the show notes, it says that I, uh, keep, I'll put this up in 24 hours or so. With 48 hours at the most, you know, I don't know how the next day is going to go. We have the Grand Theft World tomorrow. I got to prep for that. But there will be show notes and there will be links and all this stuff will be linked up. So if it's not right away, it will be there. As well as the MP3 file to get the audio version um, in the future. We'll continue to go through some of this stuff and uh, continue with this thesis that I laid out a little bit today of. Uh, and more uh, verifiable facts and evidence that we'll lay out with some of the new materials like we have with the uh, document cam there, able to show books and documents and artifacts and things live here in the production and uh, bring in some guests to make it more interesting so it's not just me uh, ranting and talking. Although, you know, that's kind of what this show's all about is uh, the thetylerblower.com. I think everyone should have their own Tom Green show. I had a better analogy that I thought of, like for the times that we're in, but uh, every, everybody should have their own uh, InfoWars show, let's say, without all the uh, stuff that goes on over there at InfoWars. <laughs> everybody should be able to produce themselves in a way now that they can uh, get their opinion out, uh, make the arguments, make the debates, put it out in a presentable way that's consumable by someone else so that they can understand where you're coming from. And uh, there could be some interesting debate. There could be some back and forth. There could be some meetings that come out of that. There could be uh, further relationships and building this community where we don't have to be physically close to each other to build um, the opposition to the informational warfare that we've been talking about today and uh, helping people through, navigate through so that they can live in truth, freedom, and prosperity. This has been TylerBlower.com live streaming show. I do have one more clip that I'm going to exit us with here that I almost forgot about. But it's key information to have at the end of this um, uh, from a good old G, Mr. G. 
And uh, the description on this, I'm going to read, and I'm not going to come back after this clip. I'll just play this clip out and then uh, exit the show. This is from KGB defector Yuri Bezmanov. You can see it here. This is I posted on a on a life log page uh, in 2008. I clipped this section. I'll put the full section and this in the show notes. It's a uh, Yuri Bezmanov warning to America. 34 years ago, Soviet defector and KGB operative Yuri Bezmanov. Just check something here. Specializing in the fields of Marxist-Leninist propaganda and ideological subversion warned us about the silent war being waged against America as part of a long-term plan to take over and destroy the American systems, uh, the Americans' system and way of life. Bezmanov was born in 1939 in Metichi, near Moscow, to a high-ranking Soviet army officer. At the age of 17, he entered the Institute of Oriental Language as part of the Moscow State University, which was under the direct control of the KGB and the Communist Central Committee. In addition to language, he studied history, literature, and music, and became an expert in Indian culture. During his... during. It says during his second okay sorry during his second year Bezmanov sought to look like the person from India his teachers encouraged this because graduates of the school were employed as diplomats foreign journalists or spies as a soviet student he was also required to take a compulsory military training in which he was taught to play strategic war games using the maps of foreign countries as well as how to integrate prisoners of war okay so he's a defector from the Soviet Union who was trained in psychological warfare and uh, ideological subversion techniques and things like that. And what he's talking about here is not just how that was done in the Soviet Union, but how the CIA does that, and it does it to its own citizens and to other countries around the world. And not so much just that the Russians are around the corner about to get us uh, at every step, which could be the case, I don't know. But... uh more or less, I, the thing I would take away from this is that this is what's going on um, from uh, inside of, again, this piece of land that we call the United States of America. In the country of, of, of your enemy. Exp- um, okay. Having a problem. Try that again. When uh, the Soviet... Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate overt and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, 
the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, активные мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see. Most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, Obviously, they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Yes. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get... Uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. 
The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins. Never mind, he will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. The United States is in the state of war. Undeclared total war against the basic 
principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system. However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. But you don't have to be paranoid about it. What, what actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking. That every second, the disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility. Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people? Well, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government. If people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help the United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including freedoms to, to homosexuals, to prison inmate. All this freedom will vanish, evaporate in, in five seconds, including your precious lives. Um, the second thing, I, the moment at least part of the United States population is convinced that the danger is real. They have to force their government. And I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful, noble activity. I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism. Because there is no other problem more burning and, and urgent than to stop the Soviet military-industrial complex from destroying what is, whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits. No technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition, and of course no such idiocy as grain deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of, of Soviets, will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic. Two, two very simple, maybe two simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless, they are the only solutions. Educate yourself, understand what's going on around you. You are not living at a time of peace. You are in a state of war, and you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There's not much time left for convulsions. Uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just, just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they, I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon. And it, they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves. 
It's, it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocies as microfilm, James Bond type espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. You may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to.